Hey guys, welcome to China Trends. This is Yu Yu. Let's stay on top of the trends shaping our future. The Belt and Road Initiative, a historic initiative that connects people across the world and also creates opportunities for global development in the future, proposed by China in 2013, the Belt and Road Initiative up to now has been welcomed and supported by three quarters of the world's nations and also 32 international organizations. Today, we invite Professor Mahoney to join us to explore the. Implication of the BRI and also the future development of the initiative. So, first of all, please give us a brief introduction of yourself. I'm、uh, Joseph Gregory Mahoney. I'm professor of politics and international relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. I'm Professor Mahoney. I know you have led a class that composed of students from Belt and Road. So, in your perspective, what's the role of the、uh, BRI? Because you know some、uh, Western media that BRI initiative might、uh, create some、uh, concerns, such as debt distress. So, what's your view? It is absolutely the case that we have seen a dramatic increase in、uh, students coming from、uh, BRI countries、uh, with a very active interest. But they've also enjoyed、uh, some scholarship opportunities that have been promoted、uh, by the Ministry of Education、uh, to encourage more、uh, exchange. Because a lot of the, the students coming from those countries, they're they're coming from the global south, and they need support. And China wants to build、uh, that connection and that understanding. Uh, unfortunately,、uh, we have seen a drop off in the number of students coming from the developed countries, uh, um, uh, from the United States and from Europe,、um, and、uh, we still have a few coming, but、um, they, I think, have fallen victim to some of this uh, uh, anti-China discourse that we do see in、uh, Western mainstream media. Uh, if you know uh, how uh, universities and how uh, uh, government exchange uh, work,、um, there's been this tremendous drop-off.、Uh, you know, we used to recruit, as, as I said earlier, a lot of uh, students uh, from the United States.、Um, they're not coming anymore, and so I, I, I'm checking with contacts in the U.S. and I'm hearing that um, uh, universities. Uh, are telling students don't go to China.、Uh, if you go to China, we won't give you credit.、Um, we you can't use your scholarship or your financial aid、uh, to go to China. Now, to that point,、uh, we can、uh, talk specifically about、uh, the debt trap、uh, narrative that has been promoted both by the, the U.S. government,、uh, by key uh, officials, uh, uh, Secretary of、uh, Treasury Janet Yellen, for example,、uh, among others, as well as uh, uh, Western media. BRI set up as a win-win、um, opportunity.、Uh, there are costs for both sides, but there are also, also opportunities for growth. Right now, one of the problems is that a lot of these countries,、um, many of them are, are post-colonial. They they have、uh, been stuck in chronic underdevelopment schemes. They uh, have uh, always uh, been exploited by、uh, Western financiers who give them certain types of aid and certain types of financing, but haven't really Help them construct the types of projects that would allow them to actually develop and to escape the debt traps that were created by Western financiers in their post-colonial or in their in their uh, uh, attempts to、uh, to develop、uh, economically. So China has gone in in order to to help them、uh, develop, and、uh, what we see actually is、um, uh, quite a number of studies, academic studies, demonstrating that、uh, BRI is not 
uh, creating debt traps. And even in the countries that have been held up as sort of the worst examples, uh, Zambia, for example, was highlighted by uh, Janet Yellen. Uh, Sri Lanka was was promoted heavily in the Western mainstream media as a country beset with debt crises or a debt trap due to China. In fact, when we look at the numbers, and, and I confirmed this recently, I was I was uh, spending some time with the Sri Lankan uh, ambassador to uh, China, and he says actually most of our debt is held by uh, the West. Most of it is held by private bondholders in the United States and the UK. And the problem that we find, and this is a similar problem in Zambia, is they don't want to be flexible. They don't want to restructure. They want their pound of flesh and their dollar too. Uh, whereas China has been willing to delay projects, to scale projects back, to refinance, and even in some cases uh, to forgive debt in order to make this uh, uh, work for both sides. Now that's the first point. Now the second point is uh, with regard uh, to the growth opportunities that are actually associated with uh, um, uh, BRI instead of uh, this negative impression of it being a, a debt trap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to some figures because I want to get them right. So uh, we had uh, uh, studies uh, published by uh, international organizations and leading scholars um, um, that um, um, uh, have demonstrated, uh, for example, this, this, this study uh, from the World Bank um, that um, uh, BRI projects will increase participating uh, countries' trade by an average of 4.1% uh, while, while cutting their trade costs by as much as 2.2%. Um, developing uh, countries in East Asia and Pacific, uh, the Pacific Ocean uh, joining BRI projects might expect uh, GDP increases in the range of 26 to 3.9%. Um, additionally, uh, last year, uh, the, the Center for Economics and uh, Business Research, um, uh, an economic consultancy based in London, uh, published a study uh, estimating BRI projects will help grow the global GDP by $7.1 trillion per year by 2040, uh, particularly as improved infrastructure makes trade cheaper and easier. Now, this explains why more than 150 countries have signed up. They're not signing up in order to put themselves in, in trouble or in dire straits with China. They know very well where the benefits and where the future uh, uh, is, and that's why they are, are getting on board and cooperating. So the data and the facts just show the BI's um, positive impact on the global development economy. And uh, Professor Mahoney, in your view, um, do you think BI has created a new model of cooperation compared with other initiative or cooperation patterns? BRI, and it links fundamentally to um, these ambitions for mutual development, um, peace and prosperity, also building a, a shared future for humanity. So uh, in that context, uh, BRI is uh, an important part of a new model of foreign policy, of foreign relations. It's not, it, it, it's, it's not by itself, but part of a package of other initiatives that include things like the Global Security Initiative, the Global Development Initiative, and uh, 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 the Global Civilization Initiative. Now, uh, that said, uh, clearly Clearly, uh, BRI is uh, perhaps the biggest aspect. Uh, it may be 
uh, simply a component, but it's, it is sort of historically unprecedented in terms of a global development uh, uh, project. Uh, we haven't seen anything comparable. It's true that where we've seen most of the, the growth and development so far is closer to home in Southeast Asia, but we know that it's also rapidly growing now and expanding across Central Asia and, and that the Latin American countries are becoming much more engaged. So in this context, it, it does offer uh, a, a different model and certainly one that uh, is placing an incredible amount of priority on the global south, right? This is something that has been neglected um, by previous uh, development schemes, even development schemes that have been uh, initiated by international organizations like the UN and the World Bank. They've come up far short uh, in, in terms of their, their efforts to uh, help uh, developing countries uh, break out of poverty and break into uh, a healthy, um, uh, positive growth uh, cycle. So yes, in this sense, uh, it, it is very much a different model. It's one that runs, I think, uh, fundamentally contrary to the old uh, zero-sum games um, that unfortunately uh, the U.S. is trying to return the world to uh, under the auspices of decoupling or a China containment policy uh, or uh, uh, what is popularized in Washington as uh, great power competition. Uh, when we talk about BRI, we talk about cooperation. We talk about win-win. Thank you for sharing. Um, and now, recently, China has just uh, proposed new concepts to complement the BI, such as the uh, uh, Global Security Initiative and Global Development Initiative. So how, what do you think of the broader scope of the BI? For uh, BRI to work, uh, what we need is security. Without security, there's no development and vice versa. So we know that uh, there has been increasing insecurity uh, due to conflicts, uh, due to some of the downturns associated with the pandemic. Um, we know that uh, Central Asia, for example, has been prone to conflict uh, given uh, previous generations of great power competition, including uh, what the U.S. did in the wake of 9-11 uh, with its 20-year uh, military occupation, disastrous military occupation of Afghanistan, which destabilized the entire region. And then as we saw the, the uh, China, uh, Central Asian uh, countries summit. Um, so what we can see is uh, this is a type of what, what some scholars would call a, a mini lateralism, where they will have this summit, will bring together these countries. Uh, they all need to be at the table so that uh, they don't think that China is just bilaterally dealing with one against the other. They have a shared sense of destiny. Uh, these projects, BRI projects, they don't just go to Kazakhstan. They, they go through Kazakhstan and onward into other countries. And so everyone needs to be uh, together, working together and understanding how they are part of this together. Um, and so this mini-lateralism uh, feeds into larger efforts like uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, like um, efforts to link up uh, these countries with uh, ASEAN countries or more uh, uh, South Asia. So, um, so we can see then how uh, the Global Security Initiative 
which is uh, really trying to uh, create a new global peace paradigm. Uh, the first big benefit being um, uh, the successful China's uh, successful mediation of uh, the restoration of diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. China has made overtures to uh, Israel to help negotiate uh, uh, the, the, the conflict with the Palestinians. Um, I think that there are probably many other conflicts that China has in mind that they've sequenced uh, that they would like to uh, address. Uh, but China knows that uh, in order for these projects to work, in order for development to work, we have to have peace and security. Furthermore, we have to have this as a pushback against the growing uh, risks and tensions that are being uh, uh, provoked uh, by the United States, uh, that the United States is provoking in East Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, and other places in its efforts uh, to knock back China and separately to, to knock back uh, uh, Russia. Furthermore, we have the, the Global Development Initiative, which um, uh, was uh, proposed by China uh, to help um, uh, create uh, a solution to the anticipated shortfalls to the 2030 UN Development Goals. Right? It's not something that's based in Beijing. Places it in the UN to try to support the broader multilateralism of the United Nations as a way to uh, stimulate uh, uh, this type of responsible uh, growth and development initiative at the highest level. So all of these things are feeding together and, and uh, seeking synergies um, to, to help grow, but also to help resist uh, uh, some of the negatives uh, that are mounting in the world. And maybe in the future, there's more, a lot more to expect. And last but not least, I like, I'd like to know what's your view of the risks and challenges that in the future uh, of the BRI, how can these um, challenges be addressed effectively? The political risk is substantial and um, we, we do have, unfortunately, in many countries around the world, including the developed and the developing countries, uh, a high degree of political polarization. Um, and uh, one of the problems that we see is that um, we'll have some political parties that uh, will gain power in a country, then they will negotiate a deal with China. Maybe uh, the United States will start cultivating ties with the political opposition, trying to promise them other types of development schemes if they can uh, start funding their, their time. And so this is trying to produce what uh, we, we refer to as uh, color revolutions, uh, changes that are, that are designed to push back against what is viewed as, as China's positive influence. But more than this, uh, I, I, I think that uh, we have to be concerned about uh, a number of uh, potential black swans. We all know that the biggest black swan recently was a COVID outbreak, which certainly put some downward pressure on some of the uh, BRI projects. Those projects have not moved forward uh, as, as we had hoped. Um, but, um, you know, we also have to look at uh, other things. Uh, for example, as we were talking before uh, the program, there's a, a very significant risk and, and probably a likelihood uh, that the United States will enter a recession uh, this year. Uh, a big reason why we have uh, global inflation is because of the United States, because 
that the United States uh, started uh, this uh, unnecessary trade war with with China before COVID, which started uh, the cycle of increasing prices. And then uh, the way the U.S. managed the outbreak uh, by increasing the money supply by 21% in 2020 and 2021, uh, while adding $5 trillion in debt in terms of fiscal policy misadventures. Um, that's where we really begin to see a lot of the global instability in, in the, in the U.S.-dominated uh, global financial system. And now with the United States raising interest rates, it puts pressures on uh, not only the U.S. economy, but it, it, it puts pressures on developing countries that are trying to enter into uh, these types of uh, financing deals with China, right? So uh, this this gross mishandling of the U.S. economy uh, has not only created all this at winds uh, globally, it's also now risking uh, an absolute recession this year as it tries to, to regain some control and that will put downward pressure on the global economy, right? And so this is something that I think uh, a lot of people are trying to position for. And uh, there's a lot of concern, especially as, as countries like China are trying to uh, pick up steam with, with their post-COVID uh, economic recoveries, which, of course, help uh, support projects like uh, BRI and, and uh, longer-term growth. Now, I will mention one more uh, concern, uh, but it also presents, uh, hopefully, as an opportunity, and that's uh, uh, climate change. Climate change is something that, unfortunately, uh, the world is still moving backwards on. Uh, temperatures are still getting hotter. Uh, there was uh, recent data uh, showing that uh, the, the ice sheet in Greenland is melting uh, faster than, than we uh, anticipated, as well as a lot of other data showing that, that we're still moving backwards. China has, uh, on, on the contrary, made significant advances. Uh, China, by some estimates, is the most vulnerable country in the world to, to climate change. Um, and uh, China has committed itself to building an ecological civilization, has become a global leader in green development and uh, green innovation. And this is really starting to enter uh, the BRI. And I think that this is going to be probably what uh, not only saves uh, the BRI and promotes the, the BRI, but maybe saves the planet if we can see uh, a much stronger uh, ecological aspect as, as now being discussed in Beijing. If we can see that entering the BRI, then maybe this will be an opportunity to confront uh, what is in fact a global challenge uh, with, with tremendous risks uh, for everyone. That said, there's one more point uh, that I'd like to make, and that is we've had this uh, decoupling discourse that's being advanced by the United States, especially in technology, uh, directed uh, at China. At the G7 meeting that just took place, we see this word de-risking. That has something that uh, in the business world, you would just call this due diligence, right? Mm -hmm. And in, uh, but de-risking, as I understand it, is a term that really was first popularized um, in Europe. It came out of Germany. And so, okay, so then we have this new term, uh, de-risking instead of decoupling. But the problem with, with this, right, uh, everyone should uh, de-risk, right? That's not a negative concept. The problem is, is that a lot of the risk that people are encountering is being driven by U.S. policy, right? So if, for example, uh, the U.S. passes, as it does, ships legislation, and then turns around and tells the Dutch economy, you better do this or else 
we're going to punish you. That's the risk. Okay, you better cut your business ties with China or else we're going to punish you. So I'm not really confident that the de-risking paradigm is a valid concept. And it isn't just, you know, a different term uh, for, for decoupling. Or if it isn't uh, uh, the same as decoupling, it's just, you know, you know feeling the stones crossing, uh, feeling the stones that were put in place in the river by the United States so that we can get to decoupling. It's like a half measure uh, to the U.S., uh, what I think is still the U.S. strategic objective of decoupling Cold War and, and isolation. And, and it's really, if you look at the past uh, few years, the incredible amount of restraint, the incredible amount of maturity, the incredible amount of, of resistance from Beijing to these provocative measures being advanced by the United States, trying to draw China into a conflict, trying to draw uh, uh, Asia into uh, some sort of conflagration. Um, those are the sorts of risks. Those are sorts of the, the sorts of challenges that um, uh, sort of worst case scenarios um, that uh, could uh, intentionally derail everything that, that China is trying to push forward in a positive way. Thank you for your time and for sharing so deep thoughts with us on the BRI topic. And see you next time. Bye bye.